Well, there's a story that people often tell about an old man who was trapped by some floodwaters. The town where he lived was hit by a big storm and there was a flash flood. And as he's sitting on his front porch watching these floodwaters rise, uh, he's getting concerned and he prays to God, God, help me in my time of need. And as he prays, uh, some neighbors come by in a boat and they invite the man to jump into the boat with them so that he can go to safety with them. But he refuses and he tells them, uh, God's going to rescue me. Go on without me. So confused, his neighbors leave and they go on and the floodwaters continue to rise. In fact, they rise so much that the man has to climb onto his roof. And there as he's on his roof, he continues to pray. And as he prays, some Red Cross workers show up in a boat. And they, they encourage him to jump into the boat with them so that they can take him to safety before, before he drowns. But he refuses. He says, no, go on. God is going to rescue me. So they leave and the waters continue to rise so much that he climbs the very peak of his roof. The waters are about to overtake his house. And just as that happens, a helicopter shows up and they lower a ladder down to him and they shout down to him and tell him, climb up this ladder. We, we want to take you to safety before you drown. And the man refuses and he yells back up to them. He says, God will rescue me. And so the helicopter leaves and in this made up story, this man eventually succumbs to drowning and he shows up at the gates of heaven and he's looking really upset. And God says to the man, well, why are you so upset? You're in heaven. And the man replies, well, God, I thought you were going to rescue me. And God's reply to the man is, well, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What else do you want from me? That's a funny story that people sometimes tell, but it begs an important question. And that question is this, how do we receive help from God? What does it look like for us to receive God's help? I think that's a really important question for us to answer. And that's the very question that we're going to look at this morning. As we continue our series, the Bible doesn't say that. We're going to look at a phrase that teaches some wrong things about how we receive help from God. We kicked off this series, the Bible doesn't say that. And we said uh, that it's really important what we believe because what we believe determines how we behave. What we believe determines how we behave. And if we're going to live the life that God created us to live, we have to believe the right things so we can live the right way. And so often we can uh, run into these phrases in culture that we sometimes think the Bible says. They get attributed to Scripture. They get attributed to Jesus. And sometimes we find that the Bible doesn't say that. And worse off, sometimes we find out that not only does the Bible not say that, but the Bible actually teaches something that's exactly the opposite. And that's the case with the phrase that we're going to look at today. The phrase that we're looking at today is a phrase that, uh, that Barna uh, Institute recently found in a survey that 81% of Americans believe this phrase is in the Bible. In fact, that same study found that 68% of born-again Christians believe that this phrase is in the Bible. But this phrase is not in the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches something very different. The phrase that we're going to look at this morning is this, the phrase that says that God helps those who help themselves. You've probably heard that phrase before. God helps those who help themselves. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. So where does this phrase come from? I think it's really interesting when you do research and you look at the origins of this phrase, the origins of this phrase go way back. Uh, they don't go back to the Bible, but they go way back in history. In fact, the first time we see this phrase pop up is uh, in Aesop's fables, these stories of Greek mythology. 
In fact, there's one particular fable where we see this exact phrase jump out. And I want to read it for us this morning. It, the, the fable says this. It says, a wagoner was once driving a heavy load along a very muddy way. At last, he came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire. And the more the horses pulled, the deeper the wheels sank. So the wagoner threw down his whip and he knelt down and he prayed to Hercules the strong. Oh, Hercules, give me, uh, uh, help me in my hour of distress. And Hercules appeared to him and said, stand up, man. Don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. So in this fable, an amazing thing happens, right? This man gets into a difficult situation. So he gets a wonderful idea. He cries out to the strongest God he knows. He imagines that Hercules could easily pick that wagon up and put it uh, on the other side and, and it would be no big deal for him. But when he cries out to Hercules, Hercules shows up with all of his muscles and all of his strength. And he says, man, I don't have time for that. Do it yourself. If you want help, do it yourself. Wow, that's 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 an incredible statement. And we sometimes attribute that to God. Does that that might that might fit with Hercules' character, but does that fit with the character of God revealed in Jesus? It's interesting as you continue to look at where this how this phrase popped into our culture, we see this phrase show up in America for the first time in 1757. In 1757, Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, who was also a publisher in Philadelphia, he published that year's version of Poor Richard's Almanac. And in that year's edition, he's quoted as saying this. He says, let us hearken to good advice and that something may be done for us, that God helps those who help themselves. So here Franklin is quoting that same phrase. He's, He's quoting that same phrase and introducing that phrase into American culture. And, you know, this makes sense for Franklin. Franklin is, is a deist. His theological worldview is a deist worldview. And deists believe in God, but they believe in a God who created everything and set it all into motion and then leaves it all alone. He doesn't believe in a personal God or a God that intervenes in the lives of men. Uh, he doesn't believe in a God that would send a Messiah to, to uh, walk amongst his people. He believes in a God that created everything, and then leaves his creation to fend for himself. So that makes sense for Franklin. But Franklin introduces this into American culture. Uh, I think it's really ironic that this phrase, that 81% of Americans and 68% of born-again Christians believe is in the Bible, it's really tragically ironic that it's a polytheistic, the- uh, a polytheistic tale from Greek mythology that was shared by a deist founding father And now many people assume that it's actually from Scripture. In fact, we see it show up all the time today in our culture. In fact, recently uh, there was an interview done by a uh, a popular uh, uh, TV commentator, Bill O'Reilly. On his show, he was uh, interviewing a pastor from the Fifth Street Presbyterian Church in New York. And this pastor has an incredible ministry where he takes care of homeless people, those who are down and out, And uh, he has this incredible ministry where they take care of uh, people who have come upon hard times. And rebuking that pastor, O'Reilly says to him, he says, well, Jesus would have demanded that these homeless people shape themselves up or, or else, because we all know the passage that the Lord helps those who help themselves. So O'Reilly is quoting this, what he believes is a section of scripture to this pastor and rebuking this pastor for not 
expecting these people to shape up. He, can, he continued on and he said, being a Christian, I know that while Jesus promoted charity at the highest level, he was not self-destructive. The Lord helps those who help themselves. You know, it's not just Bill O'Reilly, though. It's all of us. All of us have the tendency to believe this lie, to believe that God helps those who help themselves. We can, many of us, we develop a theological worldview where we think that if we work hard, if we live right, if we put our shoulder to the wheel, if we hustle, if we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that we will be able to to help ourselves, that we will be able to accomplish what we need to accomplish in this life, right? It's all up to me. You see, the problem is, though, is that this is the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches. You see, the Bible does not teach that God helps those who help themselves. In fact, the Bible teaches that God helps those who can't help themselves. Scripture clearly teaches that God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps the helpless. If you have a Bible, I would love to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Maybe you've got a Bible on your phone. Maybe you've got one, uh, uh, a physical Bible in front of you. I'd love to invite you to turn to Luke 18. And while you're turning there, I would love to invite all of us, as we're in this series uh, talking about what the Bible doesn't say, it's really important that we know what the Bible does say. And so we have embarked on a 90-day Bible challenge where we are reading the New Testament over the course of 90 days, and I would love to invite you to be a part of that. I know 90 days sounds like a big commitment. I know reading the whole New Testament sounds like a big commitment, but I'd love to invite you to jump in. Even if you miss a few days, even if you only uh, are able to read a little bit of the reading plan for each day, I believe that it would benefit each and every one of us if we spent some more time reading God's Word. And so if you text the word plan to the number on the screen below, we'll send you a free Bible reading plan where you can jump in and you can join us on this journey. But here in Luke 18, uh, the Apostle Luke, he records one of the greatest illustrations and parables that Jesus uses in his ministry. Uh, It's the one that we know is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And as we jump into this in verse nine, uh, Luke records this. He says, then Jesus told this story to those who had great confidence in their own righteousness and who scorned everybody else. So Jesus is going to tell this story to a very specific group of people. He's telling this to a group of people who think a lot of themselves, who think a lot of their own morality, who think a lot of their own ability to help themselves. And he's telling it to people who look down upon everybody else. So Jesus is going to tell them this story, and and he's going to teach them something through this story, right? There's a real tendency that all of us have for us to think that salvation is achieved by merit, or that the good life is achieved by doing all the right things, or that the way to get God's help is by impressing him through all of the things that we do. But Jesus is going to point out here in this the flaw of that. And for us today, I want to do three things for us. If you're taking notes, and I would love to invite you to take notes because it's a wonderful way for us to remember some of this information and be able to go back to it. I think some of this could really help us. But there's three things that I want us to see today. I want us, I want to identify the lie in this saying. I want to identify the truth in this saying. And then I want to identify the call that this saying covers up. See, there's a call that each one of us has that this, that this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, can sometimes obscure. 
And so I want us to look at those three things. So the first thing is the lie, right? The lie that we see in this phrase is the lie that self-help is the best help, right? Just as Hercules said to that man, if you want, if you want to receive help, you better do it yourself, right? Just as, as Ben Franklin quoted, uh, that if we want help, we better do it ourselves. And we can believe this lie that the best way to receive God's help, the best way to receive help is to do it ourselves. If you want to help yourself, you better help yourself. Well, this is a dangerous lie. But, you know, one of the reasons it's a dangerous lie is because it's a half truth. You know, there's some truth in this. Right. Like, for instance, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Thessalonica in Second Thessalonians 310, he says, uh, if you do not work, you do not eat. Right. He's encouraging the leaders there. He's like, if there's people there who are refusing to work, they shouldn't be taking food from those who are working hard. Right. He's pointing out that God doesn't bless laziness. Right. When we sit down to pray for a meal, we often thank God for the food before us. But we've done the work. Right. We went to work. We earned some money. We bought some food. We cooked the food. And then we sit down and we thank God for the food. It would be ridiculous for us to sit down in front of an empty table and pray and expect God to miraculously cause food to show up on our plates, right? That's not the way that God works, right? So there is there is a part for us to there is a part for us to play. In fact, we see in the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and He created the Garden of Eden, He puts Adam and Eve in that garden, and before sin enters the world, He gives them work to do. They take care of the garden. They take care of the animals. They have jobs to do even before sin enters the world. Because the reality is, is that working hard, that producing things is a gift. The ability to work hard and the ability to produce stuff is a wonderful gift. And we should see it as such. But we need to make sure that we don't start to think that that is the best way to help ourselves or to receive God's help. Right. It's not that God helps those who help themselves. No, no, no. That's not the best kind of help. Right. And so Jesus, as he's writing here in uh, as he's teaching here in uh, in in Luke chapter 18, it says this. He says that two, the two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people cheaters and sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income, right? So the Pharisee goes into the temple and he prays this prayer. And the translation of his prayer is basically, God, thank you that I'm so awesome. Man, God, I am so amazing. And look at me, right? It's almost as if he expects God to be impressed with him, right? He saw himself as the standard by which everybody else should be measured by, right? And he, in, in his prayer, he takes pride in how righteous he is. He tells God about his, about his fasting and about how he tithes his income. He's taking pride in the bad things that he doesn't do. He says, I don't steal and I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. And he even brags on going beyond the requirements of the law. He says he, the Old Testament law required that people fast once a year and he's fasting twice a week. Right. So he's impressed with himself and he thinks that God should be impressed with him as well. I think it's important for us to pause here and realize that pride, that the pride that he's exhibiting here is not unique to him. It's not unique to the Pharisees. All of us struggle with pride. 
right? The church is plagued with people who have prideful thinking. We have a preoccupation with earning our own way. Uh, it's our desire to earn our salvation by our own merit. And every one of us has pride. Pride is common to us. And so the idea that God helps those who help themselves can actually be kind of appealing to us because we all want to be our own savior. We all want to be the one who helps ourselves. And so first, I think it's important for us to realize that self-reliance can, can lead to arrogance. Self-reliance can lead to arrogance. Heavyweight boxer Muhammad Ali was famous for uh, looking into the camera and, and saying, I am the greatest, right? Saying, I am the king of the world. And there's a story about Ali being on an airplane. Uh, and as he is, as the plane's getting ready to take off, the flight attendant comes around and is checking people's seatbelts. And she notices that he doesn't have his seatbelt on. And so she encourages him that he needs to put his seatbelt on before the plane can take off. And he replies to her, he says, well, Superman doesn't need no seatbelt. And her response to him was, well, well, sir, Superman does not need an airplane either. Buckle your seatbelt, right? The good news is that most of us are not that arrogant. But the bad news is that most of us are closer to that than we think, right? All of us are born with self-centered personalities. Babies are cute and babies are amazing. But have you ever met a baby? Babies are so self-centered. They don't care about anybody else but themselves. They have no compassion for anybody. They have no empathy for anybody. All they want is what they want. Luckily, over time, most of us grow and we develop and we learn to love and care for other people. But that self-centeredness in us never goes away. It's always there. And for all of us, there's a temptation for us to view ourselves as the center of our own universe, for us to develop that kind of arrogance. In fact, in fact, most of the drama and most of the fights that we see in culture and in our own lives is when my universe bumps into somebody else's universe. When my self-centered desires uh, bump up against somebody else's self-centered desires, and then we end up in a fight or in an argument. I think it's important to remember what Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, warns us in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. He says, all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So important for us to remember, even though we have this tendency to move towards arrogance, that we need to instead move towards humility. The second thing we need to remember is that self-reliance causes us to forget our need. If you believe that God helps those who help themselves, we can convince ourselves that we can handle most things on our own. We, we, we don't need to bother God with difficult situations. We don't need to cry out to him in our time of need because we forget that we even have needs. Right? I think it's so important to remember when the disciples come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, how do we pray? He teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things he teaches them to pray is, give us this day our daily bread. He teaches them to confess their daily needs to God. And our, 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 our self-centeredness, our self-reliance can cause us to forget that we have needs. The prophet Jeremiah warned about this in the Old Testament. He said, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who only rely on, the, on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. You see, there's a real temptation for us to forget that we have needs. And when we forget that we have needs from God, we can often turn away from him. 
and forget all about him until something really big happens. Right. So the lie, the lie is that we are that that self-help is the best help. But the truth, the truth is that God helps the helpless. So Jesus continues on in, in Luke, it recorded in Luke 18. Um, and now he's going to tell us how the tax collector prays. He already told us how the Pharisee prayed. Now he's going to show us how the tax collector prays. Jesus says this, he says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Wow. So what's Jesus pointing out here? He's pointing out that the tax collector is praying in a very different way. Jesus is showing that there's a right way to approach God and a wrong way to approach God. The wrong way to approach God is with pride. Right. The, the, the Pharisee approached God with great pride, but the tax collector approaches God with great humility. So the wrong way to approach God is with pride, but the right way to approach God is with humility. The tax collector wouldn't even go into the temple or not, at least not as far as the Pharisee did. He stood at a distance. And although the typical prayer posture in that day was to look up to heaven, he didn't even dare to do that. He, he, he bowed his head low and he said, God, forgive me. Be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. He beat his chest in sorrow. He came so humbly before God. You see, God, he says, God, have mercy on this sinner. The tax collector makes it personal. He owns his sin. He doesn't lump himself in with others. He doesn't compare himself with others. The, the Pharisee had the tendency to compare himself to other people and we often have the, the tendency to, to, to let ourselves off the hook by saying, well, I'm not as bad as that person, or I'm certainly better than that group of people. But the tax collector doesn't do that. He just owns his own sin. Uh, he just bears his soul before God, and he asks for God's mercy. You know, that word mercy gets thrown around, but what, is, what does mercy mean? Well, mercy is a word that we use to talk about a uh, a theological term uh, that we, that a theological idea called propitiation. And propitiation is just a fancy way of saying that God's wrath has been appeased. It's, it's, it's been paid. There's a debt that has been paid. God has uh, taken the, the, the penalty for us off of us and put it onto Jesus. Uh, in second Corinthians five, 21, it reminds us, it says, for God made Christ who had, who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Right. And that's what the tax collector said. The tax collector comes before God and he says, have mercy on me. He realized he couldn't pay the penalty himself. And so he needed God's mercy. We're invited to come before God with that same posture, saying, God, I can't help myself. I need your mercy. So there's two keys for us to lean into God's grace and to receive his mercy. And the first is just like that tax collector to admit that we're powerless, which is more difficult than it sounds. But for us to say, I am not able to do it on my own. We live in a do-it-yourself society, a society that says, uh, if you're having a hard time, you need to try harder. You need to grind more. You need to hustle more. You need to dig deeper. You need to try, right? And we can often begin to think that that's the way that God is, that God's a taskmaster that constantly says, do better, do more, go faster. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not do more, hustle more, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. 
No, the gospel that Jesus reveals is the gospel that says, God, I can't help myself. I need your mercy. I love in Psalm 94, King David writes this, and it's true for so many of us. He says, unless the Lord helped me, I would have soon settled into the silence of the grave. I cried out, I am slipping, but your, un- but your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, you comforted me and renewed my hope and cheer. This, all of us have a story like that, unless the Lord helped me. Man, where would we be without God's help, without God's grace, without God's mercy? David's reminding us there that when we find ourselves in times like that, we can cry out to God and receive his help. So are you ready to admit that you're powerless? The second thing that we have to do is we have to admit that we trust God alone. You see, God can't be one of several sources of help. He is our only and our eternal source of help. In Psalm 121, King David writes this. He says, I I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Lord who never sleeps and the Lord who never slumbers. I want to ask you today, what in your life right now is keeping you awake? What is causing you to not be able to sleep and not be able to slumber? What's causing you to lose sleep and to be twisted up in knots? Whatever that is, you can bring that to God and you can receive help from him. There's a lie that would cause you to believe that you're supposed to carry everything on your own, but that's not the truth. The truth revealed in Jesus is that we have a God who helps us. We have a God who is a personal God, right? He's not a distant, far off God, but he's a God who wants to intervene in our lives, who wants to help us in our time of need. Not like that God of Hercules who, 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 who would refuse to help that man in his time of need. No, God shows up in our times of need, right? So there's that lie that says that self-help is the best help. And there's the truth that, that God helps the helpless. And, the, and then there, thirdly, there's this call, right? That if we believe the lie that God helps those who help ourselves, it sometimes can obscure this really important call. And the really important call is that each of us are called by God uh, to help God help others. You see, the biggest problem with that, with the statement that we're looking at today is that it denies the interdependence that we exist within. You see, this statement causes us to believe that by helping others, we might actually work against God, right? We worry that if we help people, that we might keep them from helping themselves. But that's not what scripture teaches us. We are called, you are called to make a difference by serving others. If we truly believe Jesus and what he teaches, we have to realize that each and every one of us, we are called to receive God's help, and then we are called to allow God's help to flow through us to other people. Each and every one of us were called to make a difference by helping others. Each of us are called to make a difference by serving others. Each of us are called to be interdependent upon other people. You see, the, individ- the individualism that we see in the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is contrary to what we see in Scripture. You know, it might, it might fit well within the way that we view ourselves as Americans, right? We, we're these underdogs who don't need help from anybody else, right? But the truth is we need each other. The individualism that we see in the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is contrary to what we learn from Scripture. Scripture says that God is a relational God. 
that he created humanity to have relationship with us and so that we could be in relationship with others. And in Jesus, Jesus comes so that he can restore right relationship vertically between us and God and then right relationship horizontally between us and other people. That's why when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment, he says that there's two that are linked together. They're inseparable to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Because Jesus wants to restore both of those relationships, both of those relationships between he and us and between us and others, because God wants to help us. And then he wants to help us. He wants his help to flow through us to others. And we're particularly called to help those who can't help themselves. Martin Luther King, the great uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, he said this. He says, it's right to tell, it's all right to tell a man to lift himself up by his own bootstraps, but it is cruel just to say to a bootless man that, she, that he ought to help himself up by his own bootstraps. This idea that we, that, that we sometimes uh, overlook people who need help, people who are helpless, and we expect them to somehow help themselves when we forget that it's we who are called to help them, to allow God to work through us to help them. In Matthew 25, Jesus paints this picture very clearly in verses 41 through 45. He says these words, he says, When I was hungry, you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then people reply to him, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers, you were refusing to help me. Wow, so Jesus here, he is saying that how we treat others, what we do for others is what we do for Jesus. I think it's so important to look there and see that Jesus didn't quantify that. He didn't say that we should do those things only if they appreciate it or only long enough that they don't become dependent on it or that we should cut them off if they mess up. Certainly we should be cautious when we help others, but nowhere does Jesus say that we are responsible for guarding against abuses of generosity. We're just responsible for the generosity. Jesus calls us to help others, to allow his help to flow through us to other people. Uh, We can miss that, especially if we believe that God only helps those who help themselves. We can sometimes forget that we are called to help those who can't help themselves. In Luke 18, 14, Jesus sums up that story that he was telling, that parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And he tells the, the, the hearers of this story, he says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, uh, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus reminding us there, those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, Matthew records it in Matthew 23, 11. He's telling his disciples who are arguing with each other about how they can be the greatest uh, follower of Jesus. And he says this, he says, the greatest among you will be a servant to all. Jesus is reminding him that, reminding his disciples that in his kingdom, 
It's not about, about who has the most. It's not about who hustles the hardest. It's not about who uh, grinds the most. It's not about who helps themselves the most. It's about who is willing to allow his help to flow through them to others. Who is willing to be a servant to others. We are not called to help ourselves. We are called to humbly receive God's help and humbly serve others. I want to pray for us. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, and we thank you that in Jesus we get a clear picture of who you are. Lord, we don't have to wonder about what you're like. We don't have to wonder about what you expect from us. But in Jesus, these things are revealed. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us. Lord, the reality is is that pride is something that all of us struggle with. The draw towards arrogance is something that we all struggle with. The uh, putting off our responsibility to help others is something that we all struggle with. And so, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us. Lord, we remember that in our times of need, including right now in this moment, we can cry out to you and we can receive help. Lord, for you help those who are willing to admit that we're in need of your help. Lord, I thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, today, if you have never made a decision to begin following Jesus, I want to encourage you that today is a wonderful time to do that. If you're finding yourself in a situation where you're saying, you know what, I'm in a spot and I can't help myself. Well, it's a great time to reach out to God and to receive his help. God always responds to us when we cry out to him and we welcome his help in our lives. And if you have never received his salvation and his leadership in your life, I would love to encourage you to do that today. In fact, I would love to invite you to text the word faith to the number on the screen below. I would love to celebrate with you in that decision that you're making and send you some resources that will help you along the way. You know, Praxis Church, I am so grateful and so thankful for your generosity. You know, your generosity allows us to immediately respond in times of crisis. And last month, there was an explosion that rocked Beirut, Lebanon. And when that explosion took place, it leveled neighborhoods and it destroyed the church, uh, the City Bible Church that is pastored by Pastor uh, Marwan, who is there. He's an English-speaking Uh, pastor there in Beirut, Lebanon. He has a great ministry there. His church was destroyed and now they are rebuilding their church and they're serving their neighbors there. And you know what? When that happened, we were able to send them some financial resources. We were able to help some people who were in a helpless situation. And it's your generosity that makes that possible. And so thank you so much for participating in that. If you're planning to worship God today through your giving, you can do that by going to our website and doing that there. You can drop it in the mail to our P.O. box. You can find that address uh, on the link on our website, or you can text the word give to the number on the screen below. But no matter how you're doing it, I want to thank you for, for worshiping God with your generosity and for making that possible. We can help people in their times of need. We can allow God's help to flow from us to others because of your generosity. So thank you so much for that. You know, Praxis Church, I am so excited. We have not met in person uh, since March, uh, earlier this year in the month of March, and we have not been closed. We've been doing this weekly online and some amazing and exciting things have happened, but I have missed so much meeting in person. But I've got some great news. Later this month, 
we're going to begin to resume in-person gatherings. Uh, you can find out more about that on our website at the link below, but I'm really excited. I hope you'll mark your calendars, and I hope that if you are feeling well and you're feeling ready, that you will join us in person for one of our gatherings coming up real soon. Now, if you are not feeling well or you're not feeling comfortable or you're out of state or for whatever reason you're unable to join us in person, I want to let you know we're going to continue uh, to do Praxis Church at home. We'll continue come, coming to you uh, there in your home through these videos each and every week. So there's no pressure, but when you're ready and when you're able, we want to invite you to join us once again in person as we worship God together as a family. I'm so looking forward to that and I can't wait to meet you or to see you again in person. Now, as we all go our separate ways, I want to pray that God would bless you, that he would keep you, that he would cause his face to shine upon you, that he would be with you in your going and that he would keep you until we meet again. Have a fantastic week. God bless you.